right, and we're back for another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here for the Lakers Fast Break Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports, Fantasy Football, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our good shows. He's back again for another round this week. Can't thank him enough for joining us. He is the man behind the place you need to go to keep the conversation going in regards to the Los Angeles Lakers. It's everything you want to see right now, you know, as far as uplifting each other and also a lot of great sports talk, including the Lakers. It is Lakerholics.net. I know him as Tom Wong, but you know him as Laker Tom. And Laker Tom, still a lot of things to talk about. But first and foremost, our thoughts are with you and your family out there, just making sure they're safe and healthy. But also thoughts are with the Lakers as two, not only one, but two members of the Los Angeles Lakers have been felled by this coronavirus. Yeah, well, good afternoon, Gerald. It's good to be with you again. Trying to have a positive look on things, even though some of the some of the news coming out about the coronavirus is is very discouraging. I think there's some good signs coming through, and I'm still hopeful that We'll have a basketball season. I'm hopeful that maybe in two months we'll be bath- past the worst of this crisis, that we can uh, manage to dull the spike of uh, of all of the cases that are hitting us, especially in New York City, and uh, and hopefully flatten things out so that uh, our hospitals and our healthcare professionals can handle the wave of cases that have got going, and and we can minimize the number of people who die because of this. I hope so. I hope we can minimize the number of people that are afflicted with this disease. It's it's just been horrible as as we continue to see the numbers go up and up and up on both the uh, the wrong categories of people who have been afflicted and also people who have passed and succumbed to the disease. So worldwide, it's still taking its toll. Hopefully, we're going to start getting some good signs soon here in America in regards to the coronavirus. Hopefully, the social distancing. Hopefully, the stay at home for most people, if they're smart, if you can stay at home, please stay at home. Follow the directions of the state governors, the state officials, the top medical officials that are out there. Please, if you can, stay at home. We truly, truly appreciate it because you never know. You might get it. You might pass along. You might not even know you have it. It's, it's just a, a very scary situation right here and we're trying to make the best of it as we can right here at the lakers fast break podcast but my friend i know there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the lakers and i guess it starts right off with to the lakers being ill being officially diagnosed with the coronavirus i'm very sorry to hear that the lakers were not named although a couple lakers have indicated they have not contracted the virus including a relative of JaVale McGee, for starters, and I think the way LeBron is acting on Instagram, I could probably say no, but you never know. Mm. You could be asymptomatic. You're never sure of that. But I wanted to ask you, my friend, when it comes to the way the the Lakers and also the rest of the NBA is getting their hands on this coronavirus testing, is getting the ire of a lot of people out there. I'm just going to say this. It It is... The fact that they are going ahead and paying substantial dollars, the NBA is, for the testing, which is moving them to the front of the line. I'm not groovy with it, but I can understand it, that and still in our society, the dollar pays the most. 
your thoughts on the NBA players getting the, I guess the, the fast treatment and the fast track on this coronavirus testing. I think the, the failure by the administration to go out and um, put into effect the wartime powers that they've declared and actually take over this whole procurement of, of the physical things that the healthcare professionals need to protect themselves. Uh, as for the players, um, it's kind of interesting that some players on other teams have come out and said who it is that has the coronavirus. And yet on the Lakers, even though we've done some elimination stuff to eliminate a couple of people, uh, nobody's come out and said it's me, you know. I don't know. That's That seems kind of strange to me that they're not. Um, and it gets into the next discussion, which really comes right off of that, which is that how are we going to get out of this, both as a country and both as a as sports fans who want to see the Lakers not have their their opportunity to win their 17th championship stolen from them by this virus? There was an interesting article by Eric Pincus today, who's you know one of the I think premier writers who covers the the Lakers beat, and he basically said the that the league was going to be able to figure out a way to make this work. It probably has to be done in a single venue like Las Vegas, where they come in and they basically isolate everybody who's going to be on the teams, make sure everybody passes the test, keep them isolated during the entire playoffs. And they're all playing in one arena, so you don't have to go out and find all of these different venues. You don't have to get on airplanes and travel and do all of those types of things. She said that, and that makes perfect sense to me, that if you are going to salvage the season in some shape or form, you may have tickets to the game, Gerald. There'll um, be like one <laughs> arena worker slash right, you know, yeah. fan that will be there. That will be someone that I know and love. But, you know, I just, that's a, I, I've heard that idea passed around, bandy around about Las Vegas being that venue. Yeah, obviously we could accommodate it, especially right now because there's nothing going yeah, right. on right now on the strip. Uh, well, actually, the truth of the matter is, is there's probably a lot of arenas around the country that might buy for that same honor. But then again, we have literally the T-Mobile Arena that's right. across the street from the MGM Arena that is down the street from the Mandalay Bay Arena right. that is down the street from the Thomas and Mac arena. Lots of empty hotel rooms. Lots of empty hotel rooms. Remember, we have more hotel rooms right. you know, uh, within a what uh, a block, within a block than uh, some cities have in their entire city. So, yeah, it's, it's not trying to brag. I'm just telling you what the numbers right. are, and a lot of them are empty right now because of what's going on with all the canceled things that are going on, the yeah. fact that a lot of these casinos have closed up. It's funny because I have a relative who works within the casinos that is still employed, but he's one of the few less than five members that is employed. And he's a manager in within this whole confine of casino industry and all that. And he is actually spending a lot of his time flushing toilets. And the reason <laughs> why you flush toilets at least once right. a day in a hotel is to fight Legionnaire's disease. So that's something that that you have executives right now spending a great deal of time across the strip at all these major hotels, these empty hotels, they're flushing toilets. Room to room, huh? 
room wow. to room, every single one. Because if you don't start doing it and it starts to go ahead and matriculate, the, the bacteria forms up, and that's how you get Legionnaires disease, or one of the ways you get Legionnaires right. disease. So, yeah, that's uh, something that they're they're battling right now, which is something that's a not so well-known cost right. of what's going on with this coronavirus outside of the billions of dollars that we're losing and all right. the health issues and all that. We'll see what happens over the next few weeks, but I'm, I'm feeling a little more optimistic in the sense that there is a point in time where we're going to have to get back to work, even if it involves risk of a second mini wave of infections. We can't just go on like this for you know six months. That's an impossible situation. So we can stunt the number of people that let the people get sick who are infected now prevent other people from getting sick by having them stay at home and stay away and for a period of time. And, and we can reach a point where we can go back and, and then have enough testing equipment so that if somebody immediately gets sick or that we can even just basically start testing everybody just to make sure that those people who don't know that they're sick aren't going around infecting people. If you could test everybody, then you could say, okay, all of you people can go back to work. And that's really what the microcosm is for the, for the NBA, because you've got to take all of those players and all of those coaches and all of those teams, all of the people that are going to have to get together and, and go in the arenas. And we know there's not going to be any fans in there, but you got to get that group of people and you got to be able to test them all. So when you get back to your original question, I think that that's something that the NBA is going to pay for. They're going to pay for the test regardless of what it is. Some companies may pay for the test for their employees for the same reasons. But if I can test all my employees and find that all of these are free and we know that they're isolating themselves at home, then they could come back to work. That particular employee set of employees could. So there's some strategies that are starting to emerge that I think give you some optimism that this is not just a totally hopeless situation, that we can flatten the curve. We can, you know, hopefully find out that people are immune and people who got it can go back to work. And then once we segregate out groups of people that we know are healthy because they self-isolated themselves, self-quarantined themselves, we can, we can see a pattern where we can start to put together society again, save the economy, you know, maybe save the NBA, maybe save the world. It's my good thought for the day. That's some heavy stuff there. I don't know if I can follow up with that. <laughs> We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. That is by far my favorite because it's also character driven and the stakes are high and there's much more of a mystery and intrigue to it. A game like Wolfenstein, which people are saying are one of the most socially important video games of the past 10 years. Catch our shows on radio worldwide seven days a week or at any time on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on over 30 more podcast outlets. Once again, I'm talking to Tom Wong. I know him as Tom Wong, but you know him as Laker Tom. You got to be talking to him today and be part of the conversation at Lakerholics.net. A lot of great conversation is still there to be had with everybody talking Lakers and what's going on with coronavirus and all that. So you got to be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.net. Well, my friends, speaking of what you're doing to pass the time, it's well-documented on Twitter. If you go to at Laker Tom right there, 
because there's all the stuff that you're doing on your medium.com website, which you go ahead and often refer to at Lakerholics.net. And that is this, the obvious is right there. I mean, more so than any other franchise in the NBA, they've been able to, I guess, uh, acquire or get their hands on or have them join up with so many different superstars, so many great superstars, and just so many superstars, more than any team that I know of off the top of my head, more than Boston, more than, let's say, Philadelphia, Houston, more than any other NBA franchise. The Lakers have seemingly been the destination for more NBA all-time greats than any other team. You seem to have pinpointed an answer on that question about how the Los Angeles Lakers have mastered the art of acquiring NBA superstars. It's an interesting story. It's one of those things where I have more time on my hands than normal, just like all of us. And so I start off doing this little thing and I'm looking at it and it starts off with how do you figure out who's a superstar? You know, where do you draw the line? Um, uh, if you look at the if they look at the jerseys that are hanging in Staples Center, there's some obvious ones that you can find, and then there's even Kobe Bryant who's got two jerseys hanging up there. And I, and it was kind of interesting because what happened is that I I started writing this article, and it just kept expanding because it, it all of a sudden I was reliving all of these moments that that I remember as a Laker fan, you know, and how we got this player and how we got that player and what they did and the special moments that came along with that. And so it became almost a, uh, a a mission of love on my part that I was just really celebrating a love adventure I've had with the Lakers, which has been a big part of my life. As we've talked about before, I was not a Laker fan when I grew up. I grew up in the Midwest and uh, moved to Southern California in, in the 50s. And uh, at that point in time, the Lakers, uh, I started listening to Chick Hearn on the radio because I was a basketball fan. Um, but I wasn't a Lakers fan. I was a 76ers fan at that point in time. And before that, I was a Warriors fan because of Wilt Chamberlain. So it's, for me, it was a fascinating story. I started off just running across a couple of articles that I was digging into it and going back and reliving stuff that I didn't remember because it happened when I was just a kid. Wilt Chamberlain was actually sort of like the very first free agent in the NBA because he had, uh, there was no free agency back then. There, uh, teams, had a, teams had a right to the player, and even when their contract expired, they still retained the rights to that player. And what happened with Wilt was, was a fascinating situation. He had threatened, because he was such a prominent player, he had threatened that he was going to quit. I mean, he said, I could go back and play with the, with the uh, Globetrotters. Or, or, and then fortunately what came along was the ABA. And the ABA all of a sudden led a situation where Wilt could have threatened them to depart to the ABA. And so he ended up making a deal with the then owner of the Philadelphia 76ers that he was going to get part ownership of the team. Okay. If he'd signed this one-year contract. So he signs this one-year contract with a gentleman's handshake that he was going to then be given an opportunity to become one of the owners of the team, something totally unheard of back in those days. Well, what happens is the owner dies. So the next year, Will comes up to his contract. And he says, well, I'm, I want to buy part of the team. And I want, you know, and all of these other things. And the other owner says, well, no, I don't know anything about that deal. 
And so they make an agreement where, okay, fine, I'll play a year and then we'll trade you. And so the year comes up and Wilt, and this is a story that is a recurring theme through the entire history of the Lakers. Uh, it happened with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and it happened most recently with Anthony Davis. Wilt Chamberlain demanded to be traded to the Lakers. He didn't want to be traded to the Celtics or, or the Chicago Bulls or the Phoenix Suns or any other team. He wanted to be traded to the Lakers. Is that so familiar? You can't believe it. And, necessity, and out of necessity, because the owner had made the deal, if you stick around one more year, okay, I'll trade you to the Lakers. I'll trade you where you want to go. They traded him to the Lakers, and it was like one of the most one-sided deals you've ever heard of. I think we traded him for – we gave up Daryl Inhofe and, you know, and a couple of pieces of players that nobody who's a Laker fan today probably even remembers. And Wilt became a Laker. That was the very first superstar, of course, was so – there, so there's this trend of these three different – three great centers that we've gotten by them demanding to be traded to the Lakers. Not demanding to be traded somewhere, but to the Lakers. Then there's this other group of superstars that were the result of the Lakers having the number one draft pick in the draft. And that started way back in Minneapolis with the with George Mikan. The Lakers, and many fans may not know this, the Lakers originally were a team called the Detroit Gems. And the Detroit Gems had gone broke. And they'd given up all of their players. And they were in a league called the NBL, National Basketball League. And two guys from Minneapolis bought the gems. The only asset the gems had, other than a few basketballs and some gym equipment, was the number one draft pick in the National Basketball League draft. They used that to get a guy named George Mikan. And they won the championship that first year in the National Basketball League. That was really, in many Lakers fans who were back in the early days, claimed that that was really the first NBA championship, and the Lakers actually have 17 now, not 16. Because what happened is the NBL, the next year the Lakers left the NBL and they joined the Basketball Association of America, the BAA. The BAA was later decided to be the predecessor to the NBA. But what happened with the BAA is they merged with the NBL, the league that the Lakers had won the championship the previous year. They merged together with the NBL, and the next year became the NBA. And that first season, when the BAA and the NBL were together, was declared as the first NBA season for terms of records of who won championships. So even though the Lakers won two in a row with George Mikan, the first one didn't count. Our 17th was stolen from us, just like the coronavirus is trying to steal the 17th from us right now. And so you move on there, and then, so Mikan was like the first number one draft choice where the Lakers got it. Then you go down the line, and you come up to who's the next big draft pick that the Lakers got. And that was the Lakers, that after Mikan, they'd stumbled through some bad years, ended up being at the bottom of the draft pick. And there was a guy named Elgin Baylor's number one pick in the draft, and the Lakers were so bad that they got the number one pick in the draft. They almost tanked before tanking was popular. So they got their second number one overall pick in the draft in a guy named Elgin Baylor. Poor Elgin never won a championship with the Lakers. Went through, the Lakers went to the finals with him, the NBA finals, eight times, seven times, excuse me. 
They lost six times to the Boston Celtics and once to the New York Knicks. And then Elgin decides to retire. We drafted Jerry West number two, so he wasn't a number one draft just. But Elgin retired. We made the trade for Wilt. <laughs> nine days after Elgin retired, Elgin retired nine days into the season. And the next day, the Lakers went on a streak where they won 33 straight games. I remember that 33-game streak. I know exactly where I was on some of those days and, and, and the rooms that I was in and the people I was with. And that was the Gail Goodrich, Jerry West, Will Chamberlain team that was just unbelievable. They romped all the way to win the championship. It was the sixth NBA championship because Mike had won a three-peat after the first two years he'd lost, and then they he won five out of six years when they were in Minneapolis. And they come they come to LA, and now this was the first win by the Los Angeles Lakers, not the Minneapolis Lakers, and their sixth title overall. And one of the interesting things about that particular title was you got all these banners and staples for the Lakers championships while they're in Los Angeles, but you got one banner that's got five championships on that one banner for the poor guys in Minneapolis. They got shortchanged. And while Will and everybody else has got a banner up there for the great legendary players where their jerseys are hanging in the arena, instead, poor Mike just has to share a banner, not even a jersey, a banner with five other five other guys that were back in the uh, Minneapolis Lakers. And the Minneapolis Lakers weren't even like an NBA team when you really get down to it, although we'll take their five championships just to keep up with the Celtics. I mean, they played a they played one infamous game where the final score of the game was 19 to 18. This is with George Mikan. They won 19 to 18. That's the game that basically caused the shot clock to be invented. So you go on through the years and and what happens? The Lakers go through these various slumps and so forth. They can't seem to get past the Celtics. You know, they're struggling and struggling until they finally get that. And and then then we come along and Gail Goodrich is getting on in years. So Goodrich basically goes to join, I think, the New Orleans team. And I can't even remember. I think they were the Hornets at that point in time. But the Lakers get a compensation, which is the number one pick in the draft. This will be their third number one pick in the draft. Third number one pick overall in the draft. And right at that point in time, Jack Kent Cook, is, who's moved the team, you know, has been, has been part of the whole thing, sells the team to Jerry Woodbuss. Dr. Jerry Buss takes over, and just like the guys in Minneapolis, he had a team that was not very good, but they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the team, but they hadn't been able to win. But he goes out, and he gets the number one pick in the draft. And that pick is Magic Johnson, and the rest is history. Five championships. And you go through the whole thing, and it goes on to the, to the great moves by Jerry West to get Kobe Bryant and then Shaquille O'Neal. And in the end, I categorized... 11 champion, 11 superstars that the Lakers have had. I left off Gail Goodrich and I left off Jamal Wilkes. But of the 11 superstars the Lakers have had, five of them were drafted, or five of them were, excuse me, were bought and bought by trade. And I consider Kobe Bryant to be a trade because they traded for his draft rights. Four of them were the result of number one draft picks. And two of them, only two of them, everybody talks about how the Lakers are like the free agency destination, but only two of them, Shaquille O'Neal and 
there are two pretty good ones, of course. LeBron James and Shaquille O'Neal were the only two free agents. So out of those 11 champions, only two of them were really free agents. Although three of those trades were from guys that basically demanded to be traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. So you could almost consider them to be free agents. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting exercise that I went through. The article is incredibly long, longer than most people are going to read it. But I kept getting things that I didn't want to leave out. I didn't want to leave out Jerry West's 63-foot shot. The fact that he one of those Celtic series, he actually won the MVP. The only player on a losing team to ever win the finals MVP. And you, you go through it. The Derek Fisher, you know, .04 shot. And the shot by Don Nelson that, you know, where Keith Erickson stole the ball from Havlicek, and that ball goes right straight to, to Don Nelson, who throws up a shot. It hits the back of the rim as the shot clock sounds off. Shot goes up six feet straight in the air, drops through perfect swish. And the Celtics go on to win another series against the Lakers. More than Willis Reed coming out and limping out onto the court and turning around a series that we thought we'd won against the Knicks. So it's a journey through, through all of these years of being a Laker fan. 73 years of free agency decisions and trades and and uh, draft picks, changes in ownership, moving to a new city and so forth. And it's just my sort of love adventure with the Lakers Chronicle in an incredibly long article that I hope somebody will read. Didn't know you'd be getting a history lesson, did you, out there? <laughs> but you did today right here on the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Coming soon from Rob McCallum Films, Zero Cool Films presents Action Figure Adventure. Super collector Jay Bartlett hits the road once again in search of action figures, most iconic and noteworthy and rare figures, all in the name of creating the most ultimate action figure auction ever. He fronts the cash that charity benefits in the end. What will he get? How will he get it? And how well will he do? Find out November 1st, 2020. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. But my friend, I wanted to ask you this when it comes to the Lakers. And, and you were mentioning some of the just famous shots that there are in Lakers lore. So I think this is a good subject to talk about on the back end of the show here. And that is the most famous shot in Lakers lore. The most famous shot. Because you mentioned, you know, obviously for bad reasons, the Don Nelson right. shot. You mentioned the Derek Fisher shot, the .04. You also didn't mention others that are out there. In fact, Derek Fisher has another one in Orlando when they were, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what was it, game four, I believe, in overtime when Kobe gave Jameer Nelson an elbow sandwich and in, in the process passed the ball to Derek Fisher, who hit a, at that time, was a long-distance three. Now it's just like a layup for you know Steph, right. Steph Curry. But, you know, yeah. I'll tell you what. There's the, a lot of great shots out there. For me, the pass, a.k.a. missed rebound by – or tip out by Vlade Divac from the Sacramento mm -hmm. Kings at that point in time. Out to, to, to Yes, yes. Big shot Bob, as they call him. That, for me, is probably numero uno on the list, but I know there's several others that the Lakers have. Mm -hmm. I know Kobe hit a few. His percentage isn't the greatest, as all superstars. That, you know, that, 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 shot, by, that jumper by Kobe off of the jump ball against the Suns was... Yes, that was a great shot. Meta World Peace has even one or two. Yeah. When it comes to superstars, they always want to take the last shot, but statistically they're not very good at it. 
not just mm-hmm. Kobe, but LeBron, Michael Jordan. You can list it on and on and on. Their percentages aren't exactly yeah. that attractive when you look at it. But when it comes down to the great shots that are in Lakers history, for and against, which one stands out the most in your opinion? For me, it's Big Shot Bob. Close to it, but I, I, I minus is not a last minute shot like that. The shot that the shot that stands out most to me, and it really was a combination. It was it was the ultimate play against the Portland Trailblazers to bring us back uh, when we were down in that game by 15 points in the fourth quarter. It was a pass from Kobe, the, the, the dunk from Shaq. Um, I was in the uh, maternity ward with my daughter-in-law. And my first son was, my first grandson was ready to be born, but she had some problems. And so she went into the hospital. And so we had the game on, but no sound because we didn't want to disturb her. And my son and I were obviously there watching the game. And uh, when that shot went up, we just went crazy. And my daughter daughter in law practically had a heart attack. Um, But that's, to me, that was the most memorable play of all of the Kobe and Shaq times. Um, the close second probably is is Magic Skybook. Um, that that shot was just something special, too, you know. Uh, and and I'd probably put third Big Bob Rob's that jumper on that tip out from Vladi. That was that was just really sweet. So like redemption for the Don Nelson bounce. That's true. They're they you know the basketball gods were shining yep. on Robert Ory, and I do remember. Magic Johnson's baby sky hook, uh, you oh, know, to win the game, you know, over, I think, two Celtics at that point in time yeah. to win the game. So that the was thing very exciting. I about that, if you looked at it, is Kareem was all open wide for a stuff under the basket. If that had been LeBron taking that shot, it would have been a pass. That's Most something likely. interesting to think about. Yes, most likely. But you know what? Magic took the shot. He didn't make it. And the Lakers were successful on that day. And I remember being so excited. Uh, You know, that was just something as a young man at that point in time, something I was very enthused by indeed. And just a lot of great Lakers memories over the years. And we have been a blessed fan base. No doubt about that. And thank you for joining the Lakers fan base. And as far as, you know, you said you weren't a Lakers fan to start off with. In fact, you hopped from team to team before you finally found Lakers, the, the end of the tunnel for Lakers fans. So I'm glad you did make it. As someone who I had told you before, from my end, was born right down the street from the Fabulous Forum, there was no doubt about it. Yes, the Fabulous Forum may turn into the Clipperland, but you know what? It will still always be home for me for the Great Western Forum. The, the fabulous forum, as it was called before, and just something that I have a lot of memories with on a personal basis. You know, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about when it comes to the forum. Yes, I, I'm, I'm still okay with the fact that they want to go ahead, Clippers want to go ahead and, and buy away from the New York Knicks owner, James Dolan, the, you know, the Los Angeles forum in and of itself. I don't what mind that per se. What are they going to do with that, Gerald? Have you heard? They haven't said they're going to tear it down. I don't think they will tear it down. I think they'll modify it. They'll, they'll, they'll make some changes. The that they're going to play games there? Yeah. I mean, they can still play games there. It's an outstanding arena. The, the acoustics since the Lakers have left 
have been improved dramatically and is one of the best sounding arenas for concerts, church events. But I, I hear the acoustics are incredible in that arena. You mentioned something of that nature. But the thing is that, remember, they're going to go ahead and have the football stadium that's done down mm-hmm. down the block. And you're right. Steve Ballmer could request the, the forum be torn down and built back up. But he hasn't. That would be a shame. <laughs> yeah, well, he hasn't even gotten his hands on it yet. Mm-hmm. And I would hope not because, again, they put so much money into making the forum a, a, such a great sounding place. Visible sight lines may be the difference why it is it, ultimately torn mm-hmm. down because the sight lines, as someone who, as a young man, spent some time in that arena and watched a couple Laker games or two, you know, they are not that great comparatively speaking mm-hmm. to other places because it is an older arena. Bomber but- doesn't want to be second rate either. He's going to want to build something better. And I can't say I blame him. I was hoping always that they would go ahead to the pond. The Anaheim Pond is a beautiful arena. It, I love the marble in that in that framework that they have. They always played a lot of exhibition games there in the past, and it was you know something that could use some love as far as some touch-ups, mm-hmm. and because it is on the older side now as well. But they I could, think, they even, it's close enough to San Diego; they could even change their name. Oh. You're all about dissing the Clippers. And I, I, that's fine. You can do that. As Lakers fans, we love to do that. And that's, that's cool. I don't mind any type of trash talk you can give the Clippers. Hey, this is the best season that they're ever having. And that's the best. For us, this is just something that is pretty good for us, really, really good for us, really enjoyable to watch. But we've had great seasons like this before. Yeah. you know. And I understand that the Clippers are the, the Los Angeles' little brother. San Diego, though, as much as I love it as a town, as much as I love it as a city, as much as I love it as the weather, it's just not able to support sports teams. They, yeah. you know, with the, you saw what happened with the Clippers. You saw what happened with the Chargers. They don't want to stay there as sports teams do because they just don't get the support enough from fans because the fans are too busy going somewhere else than in the stadiums and the arenas. Well, it's interesting the Clippers' whole strategy of of building. Uh basketball courts for elementary schools and so forth in order to try to get a new generation of Clippers fans. Um, I think it's I a smart approach, don't you inspired, agree? I thought that was an inspired campaign because little kids, you know, you give them all Clippers hats and jerseys and stuff, and you can eventually some of them will end up being Clippers fans. I thought the most recent campaign with the billboards was ludicrous, you know. I mean, trying to say that they were the working-class fans and that the uh, the Lakers fans were the dine and wine type Clipper fans that are a type of warrior fans in San Francisco it didn't make a whole lot of sense because well they try to associate the Lakers with celebrities because obviously right. you have that crowd and the price tag of going to see a game and it's so much more expensive to see a Lakers game than a Clippers game and you know how uh, out of touch it is for the average individual Lakers fan that wants to buy tickets. It's so hard for them to even get access to one game. I get that. But the fact is the Lakers have that history of winning, that history of championships, while the Clippers, try as they might, try as they must, advertise and great plans, like you said, with trying to attach themselves to a younger audience for hopefully residual effects down the line. It doesn't matter when it comes to the history because you see time in and time again, 
the great players for the most part. Now, obviously, this year was the exception in that only one player migrated to the Los Angeles Lakers and not Kawhi or Paul George or whatnot. But for the most part, these players still want to migrate to the Lakers because of the championships that they have. And history still dictates all. And with the history, it's not a good history. And we can thank Donald Sterling for that. Oh, did that, that slip out? That's terrible of me to well, say. I mean, that. look at how many number one overall picks the Clippers had in their history. Oh, yeah. I, I told you my story of going to a watch party one time at a draft party so we could laugh at them. My friend who is a fellow Lakers fan and I who has since uh, gone to work up at Pixar up there near you, you know, it's so funny. We went there to the sports arena and they were so excited about getting, I think it was the Danny Manning draft. And they were so excited about getting Danny Manning. And well, two, three knee surgeries later, unfortunately didn't work out for them. Some of it is bad luck. with mm -hmm. the members. Sure. But some of it, it's you know, the majority of it is just bad decision-making, yeah. just bad. Cheap you know, they, they, should have, they should have understood that LA, Los Angeles is, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles. It's a Lakers town and a Dodgers town. They should have listened and done what the Angels did. You know, they could still call themselves the LA Clippers and gone to Anaheim, you know. Don't get me started with the Angels. I love the Angels, but to, to call yourself the Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and all that stuff. That's, just That's one of the most ridiculous names I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, I, I know. And I understand why they're doing it. It's all about marketing. It's all about ultimately the dollars, but Anaheim has a brace. Do you really think that that makes a difference? If no, had they not, call not, themselves the Southern California Angels or the Anaheim Angels? I mean, I mean, they, people call them the LA Angels at this point in time yeah. for the most part. I think they should be called the Anaheim Angels. Three million fans still go to the Angel Stadium each and every year. They get just as they many. Got the, they got the best player in baseball, man. Exactly. My favorite player, Mike Trout. Again, they get over 3 million fans coming to there every year and sometimes outpace the Dodgers. You know, in the past, not recently. The Dodgers, yeah. The Dodgers, I mean, they sometimes the outpace an attendance than right. the Dodgers, depending on the year. Not lately because the Dodgers have been very close to winning the World Series and got cheated right. out of, what, two of them? But we won't go there. They need to go ahead and make a choice to get away from that L.A. Angels of Anaheim and all that stuff. Just go and make it simple. Make Wasn't it they at one point in time the California Angels? Yes, that is correct, which, and again, is still a misnomer. That's still something that they. I'm glad that they got rid of. But Anaheim Angels is fine with me, and they should just stick with that. Orange County base is is large. It's huge. As you know, when you drive the freeways, as I know when I drive the freeways, it's a large base. And it's something that they should just stick with. With the Clippers, again, to find their own identity, that's great that they're going to the forum, but they're still trying to hang on to the Los Angeles area. And I think that still is a mistake. Yes, I know you want to kick them out freely and, and quickly and all that. I just think it's something where they now have a great team and they need to find their own identity, right. but they need to go somewhere else. It needs to be something not attached to the L.A. Basin. You can stay in Southern California. Anaheim's waiting for you. Anaheim is right, right. there. There's a huge Orange County base that could attach. you got to feel that the demographics in many ways would have been better for them down there. 
I think so. I think so. And and yeah, okay. You want them to go down to San Diego and you want them to go somewhere else entirely. I get that. And I understand that. Seattle, man. Seattle would be wonderful. And the Clippers thing goes great with Seattle. Well, Seattle's been clamoring for years. Obviously, they're first on the list for a team being moved there or an expansion team. I'm hoping that Las Vegas will someday be in the mix because, yes, we all, we've have embraced the Golden well, you've Knights. Lost, you've lost that detriment that they used to feel that the gambling would destroy the team. Well, that's I gone. Think, that's way gone. That's gone. That's Nobody thinks about that anymore. And that all-star game that was here where yeah. there was a lot of violence. In and Summer League. Uh, yeah. Although the Summer League is going to be interesting if the season starts in December. Well, that's another thing entirely. That's for another show, my friend. Let's just shelve that and table that for another show. But, yeah, the, the all-star game that took place in Las Vegas many years ago, that was the cause of a lot of issue and angst also as well amongst the NBA community after all the bad events during the course of that week right. that was there. That was a very hard well, stick. Was a different area. We had a lot of – the NBA had a lot of problems at that point in time, and, you know, and it was – you get a certain cast of characters, and they can really change the public opinion of, of a league. Well, that's true, but every sports, you know, all of the sports have gone through that. Yes, all the sports have gone through that, but it's it's great to see that Las Vegas is now back on the map and thought of well by the NBA. In fact, the NBA mm-hmm. really, once that stigma started to go away, they really started embracing the Las Vegas area with, like you said, summer league and all the draft related stuff. And they have their meetings there in regards to other things that are going on that are NBA related there. They now have embraced the city. And eventually I think you ought to see, especially because they've used the NHL's golden Knights as a litmus test. And, you know, because, but the golden Knights, when it comes to golden Knights, I will just say this, I know it's the Lakers podcast, but, We've embraced the Golden Knights so much because they won right away. Had yep. they not won right away, I think the, the perspective might have changed. <laughs> Maybe even the Las Vegas Raiders wouldn't be here, although I don't think that would be such a bad idea because I'm not exactly well, about the Raiders. Well, the town, town where winning and losing is more important than any other city in the nation. It's got to be Vegas, man. I mean, yeah, really. Got to be Vegas. Gotta be- How did you end up in Vegas? Well, going back in time, I used to work in the film industry, but once the film industry has its ebbs and flows as far as jobs are concerned, and if you don't know the right people and whatnot, you know, just project after project, if you don't have the projects in front of you, you know, as a crew, as shift, you're just, you don't have the work there that you need. And I just got tired of it. I just got tired of looking, trying to search for more jobs within the industry so I went to get, went ahead and uh, with my wife at that time and looked to Las Vegas because the home market was so cheap at that time. Is it now? Mm-hmm. But we won't go there. You know, it's so cheap at, at that time. It was just so attractive that we came over here back in 95, been here ever since. But my heart has always been with the Los Angeles Lakers. And even if they get a basketball team, my heart will always go and mm-hmm. continue to be Lakers. Although, you know, it's nice to see Las Vegas, the city that was wanted to be so much for such a long period of time, finally getting a just due and finally finding things right. to rally itself around and making itself important outside of just the place you go get drunk for a weekend. It's nice to see now what Las Vegas has. We'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. 
Hey listener, Dutch here from Voice from the Underground, the podcast. If the idea of hearing three semi-intelligent, outspoken nerds talk about politics, social issues, current events, sports, movies, pretty much anything that we decide to talk about because, well, it's our show, appeals to you, find us wherever you get your podcasts, just not where you buy your weed. But let's finally get back and touch on the Lakers as we head on out because we're almost out of here. So I want to ask you this, my friend. We talked about some great Lakers shots in Laker history. We talked about all the things as far as from why and some of the background that the Lakers have been able to get superstars. And for me, I think it's a lot of who's been in place as far as an organization is concerned. I think that's what it comes down to, ultimately making those right moves. We talked about what the Clippers haven't done right over the course of many years, that they're finally starting to, and you'll admit that, they're finally starting Mm -hmm. to make right moves. Jerry West being in place there, Steve Ballmer being in place there, Lawrence Frank doing a good job, not coaching and being GM. And Doc Rivers, obviously, of course, he's a good coach. I know we like to talk smack and he talks smack about the Lakers. And obviously he has to in this position, but the Lakers have done so well as an organization getting back to it because they've had the people in place for the most part. In the past decade, that has fallen off. Now, finally, they're starting to see the light again with Rob Palenka, who I admit was doing a great job. You know, obviously, he, when you have that talent that's there, that's done, a, you know, obviously so well during the course of what was a great NBA season. This is something to be very proud of. And yes, the work is. I don't want to go back into his salary structure and the fact that he got a bump and all that. I think that's something that you can check out on our previous episodes. But I think it all comes down to organization. I think something that you didn't fully address in that article. And that's some of the things that you didn't address in the article is that, to me, the reason why there have been so many great players have come there, so many reasons why that they've won so many championships. And this, unfortunately, goes to the Boston Celtics as well. is because they've had the individuals in an executive position, in a decision-making position, to make the moves necessary to get those 16 championships for Boston 17 until we pass them. And then, you know, just the people in place to go ahead and make those moves in order to go ahead and secure those championships. I think for me, it's all about the organization at the top. And that's to me where it starts. And that's to me the reason, one of the main reasons why the Lakers have been able to go ahead and be the successful organization that it has been. I think you're absolutely right, Gerald. And, uh, and ironic that I, I only touched on that in a few times in the article, but when you talk about superstars, there are management and ownership superstars too. And, and to write directly to your point, starting from two guys who basically had a vision that, you know, we want to take a team that had failed in Detroit and move it to Minneapolis. And all we were buying really was the right to have the team and the number one pick in the draft. You got guys that you go down the line from the decisions that were made by owners when uh, you get all the way to the Jerry Buss and the job that he did and, and the impact that he had all through the years. And frankly, you know, criticize all you want. Jeannie Buss, basically. I mean, when you, there's a lot of people who will never give her credit simply because she was once a Playboy cover girl. And yet she's really held on and, and held firm on the organization during a real critical time. 
and supported Palenka and so forth. And you look at the the coaches, you know, uh, uh, the great coaches that we've had, both down the lane, Bill Sharman, who turned around and won that championship with Wilt Chamberlain and Jerry West and Gail Goodrich and and Phil Jackson, you know, the Phil Jackson eras, the Pat Riley eras. And I think to a certain extent, you've got to give a lot of credit to Frank Vogel this year for the job that the Lakers have done. So you're absolutely correct that it's, you know, any organization, whether it's a business, a sports franchise, or the, or the government itself that runs our, our country, everything stops at the top. You know, if, if there's an old saying that I, a guy that I used to work for used to always say, the fish stinks from the head. And basically, it really means that if you're successful or unsuccessful, it always starts out at the top of the order. Because you choose the people that are going to be running the organization. You choose the employees that you're going to have on the floor, meeting with the customers and so forth. Um, you choose the people who are going to support the organization, support the efforts and carry out the mission. And so it always comes down to it. And the Lakers, you're absolutely right. They not only have had their share of superstar players, but they've also had their share of superstar coaches, superstar general managers, and superstar owners. You can't deny that. You know, you can't deny that indeed. It's something that I think a lot of people would point towards to as well, the reasons why the Lakers have been as successful as an organization as they have been and will continue to be so with Rob Palenka at the ship. So far, so good. Let's see his real work comes down the road when all those draft choices are not there and all those draft picks are not there to go ahead and use his assets. So we'll have to go ahead and see. But one last thing I wanted to ask you before we head and talk about the great things at Lakerholics.net is some good news within all this bad news. And that is a recent comment by LeBron James that said he wants to be a Los Angeles Lakers for the rest of his career. I find yeah. that heartwarming, yeah, but I also find that kind of tenuous because Kyrie Irving said that about the Celtics and look where he's at now. And some other players have said that. So I only take that at face value. Plus the fact that if his son develops into a great player or a very good player or an NBA draft worthy player, even if, you know, second round or able to be picked up on as an undrafted status. So I would think that the compelling nature of him wanting to play one season with the Sun would overtake any of that desire to stay with the Lakers. But the sentiment is there. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. And for at least now, as a Lakers fan, I am very, very touched that he says that and he's enjoyed his time enough because this time last year or the season prior, his first season with the Lakers – that wasn't so fun. So I'm just glad to see that right now LeBron James is wanting to be a Laker for the rest of his career. I think it's an interesting story. Uh, you know, LeBron and Lakers fans go way back, and they go way back to the Kobe Bryant era because basically what you had was Michael Jordan handing the torch to Kobe Bryant and LeBron James almost trying to take the torch away from Kobe Bryant. LeBron was the guy that, that a lot of people would always compare with Kobe. And there was a competition there among Laker fans. There were a lot of Laker fans who didn't like LeBron, much in the same way as, for example, that I probably have a bias against Kawhi Leonard because he's the competition against LeBron James. 
well, there was a long time, long period of time where LeBron James was the competition around Kobe Bryant. So I reveled, and a Laker, Laker fans reveled in the in the problems that the, the so the PR problems that LeBron got with the promise that you know he was going to win not one, not two, but three, four, five, six, or seven championships when he went to Miami, and mistakes that he may have made, you know, and things that he said and so forth. And it was always a comparison of LeBron to Kobe. And like almost every Laker fan, I would steadfastly, you know, support Kobe to that end degree. He was my favorite player at that point in time on the Lakers. There was a lot of people, even when the Lakers were recruiting LeBron, that there was a lot of sentiment in the, in the Laker community that, uh, and there was sentiment on Lakerholics.net that, you know, we don't need LeBron. We don't want LeBron. LeBron just comes in and he takes over the whole organization and he chooses his coach and he chooses the players he wants and he ties you to those one-year deals and we don't want to have that happen. So I was, there was a point in time where I was not in favor of going after LeBron. And there was a point in time where I'd have to say that I probably was biased against LeBron in favor of Kobe. That certainly has changed. And part of it has been because LeBron has changed because his approach with the Lakers was so totally different than it was with the Cavaliers. There was none of this one-year contract thing. I want a four-year contract, you know, I'm going to be here. And even though people were saying that, oh, he's just doing it for business reasons or he's just doing it because he wants to move his family to Southern California, there were still rumors of that last year that, you know, that, hey, this is not a guaranteed situation, you know, especially when he got injured and so forth. But the way that he came back this year and uh, the way that he has embraced, for example, Frank Vogel as a coach, there's never been any conflicts at all with Vogel uh, that, LeBron had with a lot of other coaches. I mean, he's been considered a coach killer by a lot of people. And I think a lot of that is probably maturity, you know, maturity and sort of a sense that family and career and what's coming afterwards, you know, was important. I mean, one thing that struck me aside from all of the wonderful things that LeBron has done for his hometown in Cleveland and the promise school and, and all of those things, was the, it was the comments that he made about Kobe that he and, and all of the things that somebody has said about Kobe during that period of time when we were all were so devastated by the tragedy. He said, you know, I think that the last three years were the happiest years of Kobe's life because he really got time with his family and he developed a relationship with his daughters. And he really, you know, he really became a girl's dad. And I see and LeBron said, I never saw him smile as much as he did those last three years. And I think there's something to that in LeBron's whole maturity and just an understanding of who he is, where his place in the game is. And I think part of it is, is a change that he was really wanting to be part of a team, wanting to be part of a team that was going to be his destiny, a team that he was going to retire, a hat and jersey that he would be wearing when he went into the Hall of Fame. And so I, you know, I, I've, my respect for him has just grown tremendously. Part of it is because he chose the Lakers, but part of it also is just because of the man that he's shown everybody that he is and the things that he's cared about and the, and the way he's handled himself, the way he took over the responsibility, you know, uh, when the Lakers really could have crumbled in that whole post-Kobe tragedies and going into Staples Center and, and nobody wanting to be the first one to talk when the team got together. 
LeBron showed kind of leadership that I think is really special. He showed everybody, as far as I'm concerned, on the Lakers, and I think everybody on Lakerholics.net feels the same way, that he's the worthy heir of taking the mantle of the Los Angeles Lakers from Kobe Bryant. I'm hoping that he'll continue to be able to play at this level for two or three more years, and I'm hoping that we will get our 17th and 18th NBA championship and put the Celtics right where they belong in second place. The last thing in the world I want to see is him go to another club, even if it's to play with Bronny. He deserves to wear a Laker uniform from now on and no other colors other than purple and gold. Well, as a father, both you and I would know that if given the opportunity, I would go ahead and play the last year with my child. That's something that sure. I think I couldn't pass up. Would Some you of my best him? basketball memories were playing basketball with my son, just, just going down to the gym in a two-on-two two or three-on-three three pickup game. Would you fault him? Yeah. I would. I oh, certainly would fault him. Not at all. No. But I'd sure in the hell try to draft Bronny. <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's true. But if he's good, don't waste your draft pick on him unless it's like a second. Hey, I don't care how good he is. Undrafted. Don't waste a first. Don't waste a first if he's not good. Well, we could waste a second on him. There you go. Our okay. first are going to be just like seconds anyway. Yeah, that's He'll true. be good enough. He'll be good enough to be the 28th or 29th or 30th pick in the draft. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. I've always favored going back to the territorial draft system, you know, that they had in the old days. Uh, <laughs> moving on, moving on. The way the Pac-12 is playing right now, moving on. Well, it's, it's the L.A. kids is all we want. Once again, I'm talking to Laker Tom. You can check him out today on his articles on Medium, plus also as well, Lakerholics.net. Be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.net. At Lakers Fast Break, if you have any questions for the show, you can email us, LakersFastBreak at Yahoo.com, at LakersFastBreak on Twitter, and you just go ahead and also leave comments on our YouTube page as well, Lakers Fast Break, and also give a big shout-out to our friends at the Discovery Community Network, and, of course, every Tuesday night at 9, right here at RTFSportsNetwork.com. But before we head on out, my friend, one minute left, why do people need to check out Lakerholics.net? Well, right now we're in the coronavirus pandemic and we need things to do and we need to be able to socialize and communicate and you can't go out and play basketball. You can't go out in the gym. You can't go out on the outdoor courts and sitting there and just looking at your computer and doing Twitter and, and not talking to people and just reading articles and looking at the games and, and binging on Netflix. It's a good chance and opportunity to Share one of the passions in your life, which is the Los Angeles Lakers with a whole bunch of other fans who are smart, intelligent, respectful, and are on there every day talking about the Lakers. So I think it's a great way to sort of make up for some of that lost contact that you have in these tough times when everybody is self-isolation. Once again, be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.net. Well, my friend, it's been a great time talking to you as always. I didn't know I'd be getting a history lesson from you, but, you know, it's been a great time indeed. All the stuff that you talked about from the past, the future, hopefully as well, for the Lakers being just as bright as what we've seen in the many years now for this organization. But I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Once again, it's Laker Tom from Lakerholics.net. This is Gerald Glassford from the Lakers Fast Break. Thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you'll be able to join us next week right here at the Lakers Fast Break Podcast.